Hey everybody, what's up? It's uh, Trent McClellan with the Generators Podcast. Welcome to episode 32. Hope you're having an amazing day and that things are going well for you. Um, I, uh, I'm feeling a little bit off here right now because uh, I met up with some, some longtime friends last night that I haven't seen in a while. And uh, we went to like junior high and high school together. So, you know, what happens? You go out, you... You have a couple of drinks and then a few more drinks. And the next thing you know, you uh, go home, you wake up the next day and you feel a little sluggish. You know, that's the sad reality of what happens in your 40s. Your body just doesn't bounce back the next day like it used to when you were in your 20s. You know, it just doesn't do that anymore. You know, you know what it's like? It's like, you know, that elastic in your in your jogging pants. You know how it's nice and snug. It's nice and snug when you first get them. You know, you can even pull the waistband out; it just snaps right back into place. But after I'd say twenty years of usage, uh, that that band doesn't snap back into place anymore. It just kind of is kind of weak, and just next thing you know, you, your pants fall off. You know what I mean? And that's what it's like as you get older. That's 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 your body basically. And so today it's been Gatorade, coffee, water, and I still I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm going to go to the gym and try and sweat it out of me, but I'm like, man, oh, how times have changed and how the mighty have fallen. We had a fantastic time though. It was a great, great time. We had a lot of laughs, but uh, I'll tell you, man, there is a price to pay. What's that saying? For all things a price. And indeed that is the case. Um, I, uh, I've been kicking some tires on social media over the last day or two because uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking to start touring again, everybody, in uh, early 2020, maybe uh, spring, early summer. I want to get back out on the old road there and start doing some stand-up dates. So I kind of put a little feeler out on social media asking folks, you know, what towns I should be stopping in. And uh, really great response from everybody. People really jumped on board, you know. We had some of the... Uh, Excuse me, the old classics, you know, uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, my hometown, Fort McMurray, Alberta. Had people uh, want to do shows in Toronto, Ottawa, Kingston, um, Thunder Bay, uh, London, Ontario. I don't think I've ever done shows in London or Thunder Bay. I've never even been to those places. Um, people doing shout outs for Seattle, Vancouver, Victoria. So I was like, man, there's a lot of places some of which I've been to before and some I've never been to. So, um, yeah, hopefully going to be back on the road again in the early spring once I kind of wrap with 22. Um, I mean, last season I did a little bit of a tour where I kind of popped it on the uh, on the weekends here in Atlantic Canada. Myself and uh, comedian Jordan Foisey, really funny guy. Look him up if you get a chance, who's also a writer on our show, 22 Minutes. And uh, we were just doing some weekends around Atlantic Canada, which was a lot of fun, but... It does take a lot out of you. It's a lot of travel, and then you come back on the weekend, and then you have to, you know, we put in a real solid week or work week at uh, 22 minutes. So I felt like I'll just I'll just kind of leave the stand up um, touring till after I wrap the season. It kind of makes better sense for me, energy wise, and I can just kind of focus on one thing, and then go touring and have a great time and meet lots of you folks after show. So I'm excited to get back out there. Been popping into the club here and doing some guest spots and working on some new material, which just seems to be really going over really well and I'm really enjoying writing it again too like just kind of exploring ideas and seeing where I can take them so really excited um, to get back out there and start doing some shows so 
um, yeah, give me a shout out if you think there's a town or a city that I should I should hit up. Then uh, yeah, give me an old uh, an old email Trent at trentscomedy.com and let me know, or give me a shout out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, whatever. I'm on LinkedIn right now. You know what I mean? I mean, I got myself Facebook. I got me some of that Twitter. You know, uh, so look me up. And uh, yeah, if you want to give your town a shout out and think I should pop by there, let me know because we're going to start uh, finalizing finalizing dates and venues here real soon. So um, yeah, we're really looking forward to doing that. And thanks everybody who uh, gave their town a shout out. All right, let's set it up. So episode 32 of the Generators podcast, my guest is um, hilariously funny and uh, one of the sweetest and nicest people in stand-up comedy. It is Mr. Adam Christie. And Adam Christie just won... Um, 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 top comic, um, the top comic competition here in Canada. And, uh, you know what? We didn't even get into it. We didn't even talk about it in this podcast because we got so down a rabbit hole of talking about other things that we didn't even talk about him winning the contest at all. But we did talk a lot about stand up comedy, his early starts in stand up. And we went down a bunch of other cool rabbit holes about just life and living and living in Los Angeles and um, like really downtimes in comedy for both of us where we kind of were like, wow, maybe it's time to quit this thing. Because that can happen very easily in a stand-up career. You're going to go through lots of peaks and valleys and some comedians don't come out of that valley and they just turn in their comedy keys and go on to another life because it can be easier in a lot of ways. And uh, we talk about those moments for both of us where it got a little dark and uh, we thought maybe we were going to be packing it in. So I think you'll uh, you'll find that rather interesting. And uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed talking to Adam and, and learned a lot of stuff about him that I didn't know. And I've known him for a few years now. So the conversation kind of went to that level, which was really, really great. And I love the conversations to just be organic. I don't have any plan going into it generally. And I just let it go where it goes. So I think you'll really, really, uh, really, really enjoy this one. So, yeah, enjoy my uh, part one of my conversation with Mr. Adam Christie. Bond thing. Um, well, thanks for doing this, dude. Is this the kind of thing where it started? Maybe. You don't even know. Like, you don't even know when it starts. Maybe we talk for half an hour, then I press a button. You know what I mean? Like, you don't. Like I think I did this podcast, but I don't know. Can I say that I am annoyed by that when people, what like people sometimes record podcasts. Like when you got me this Gatorade, it would be recording. Oh, I know. I got I someone had me on their podcast, and like we were just literally just talking back and forth. And I was like, I realized we were seven minutes in. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like moving stuff. I'm like taking off my jacket. And I'm like, oh, I'm, uh, this is start. Like, this is, are you because trying to catch a, me in something? I don't like, I would be lying if I said I'm not trying a little bit harder in this conversation now than I was a minute ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just, I think that's also the performer in you. Yeah. Like, it's almost like, okay, showtime. And you can just flick a switch and turn it on. So it's hard not to turn that on. Also, when it's not on, but it ha- should have been on. Like, if you if you were doing a gig and then you... We're at backstage for ten minutes, and then they introduced you, and then the crowd was like, "Oh, there's a ca- there's a screen, and we could see you the whole time backstage." <laughs> you would feel so violated. It's like you, oh yeah, you asked for uh, more ice for your bucket of beers, and you asked if there was free food. That was pathetic. Yeah, and uh, there wasn't free food, and now you said, "You know what? I'll pay anyway." <laughs> you asked if it was sold out, and when they told you it wasn't, you were through a temper tantrum. Yeah, we saw all that. Yeah. <laughs> So go on. Anyway, as you were. That's what podcasts are like sometimes. As you were saying. Um, so you went, 
you went to Oyster Fest last night. I have, yeah. I'm not a big fan of oysters, so I don't really get them. I I've never been to an Oyster Fest, so like, is it like, like, is it like all the musical acts are oysters? Is that what it is? Like, all the bands are actual <laughs> oysters? Because I'm not familiar with the oyster. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, music uh, world. There's a small oyster comedy tent. <laughs> And uh, just oysters. Do you know what my problem is? I think it's like oysters, mussels, lobsters. I didn't realize this till a little while ago. I think I have something against anything with a hard shell on it. Mm-hmm. Subconsciously, I was like, oh, that's not supposed to be eaten. Hmm. And the only thing that breaks that rule for me is coconut. I go, like, I just love coconut. So I want to look past the uh, shell hard exterior. But when it has a shell, I'm like, I don't, I just think that's. That's the universe's way of going, like, hey, yeah, don't eat that. Especially with an oyster, you need a special sharp knife. Like, oysters yeah. are designed by nature not to be eaten by, like, anything. And humans are and like, we I don't think it. so. Not on my watch. Yeah. What is that, a rock? I want to eat it. <laughs> what is that, a rock? That's the first caveman. <laughs> yeah. The thing you were hiding under, I'm going to use against you to smash your home open and devour yeah. you. <laughs> He's like, fuck, we have to invent knives because I want to eat whatever's inside this rock. That's right. Like oysters probably for a long time were like just untouchable. They were chilling. Oysters were like, man, we have no predators. We have yeah. zero predators. Like we're just multiplying like crazy. And then the knife got invented and like shit changed. Yeah. It was like, oh man, I remember the old days. We we could just lay here and do whatever we want. <laughs> and now this PC culture is coming up. This, Grandfather uh, oysters are sitting baby oysters on their knees. <laughs> Let me tell you something about back in the day. We'd lay on the beach, you know, and we'd just, the waves would just roll over us. And we could lay out during, you know, shallow tide, no one cared. But Shark would pick you up, break his tooth on you, you fuck you, you piece of shit. We'd live for 200 years. And then? They were just getting gobbled up in then a the fucking knife festival. Came. <laughs> and the thin at knife a, came. At Oyster Fest. Grandma. Headlined by Pearl Sweatshirt. <laughs> Pretty good. That's what you get on the Trent McClellan. What's this podcast called? This is called The Generators with Trent McClellan. It's about anyone who generates anything in the world. Anybody who makes comedy, music, writes, does other things in the world. Um, How long have you been doing comedy, by the way? Too long. I've been doing it for 13 years. Crazy. Right out of high school. Did you really? Mm -hmm. Straight out of high school? Straight out of high school. Where Where did you go? No college. Uh, I went to Humber. Well, I went to Humber College. Oh, okay, there Humber, was some, yeah. some college. Right. I went to Humber and I went there for a year and then I dropped out because it was in Etobicoke. And um, was it a comedy program? It was a comedy program. It was two years. I took one year and then I I just moved downtown to do comedy mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of open mics in Etobicoke, <laughs> oh, right. Ontario. Probably right. Yeah. Got to take that Long Branch 501 an hour. To get you. That's the thing, because I was living in Cambridge and driving from Cambridge to downtown Toronto was about an hour and 15 minutes. And then I live in Etobicoke, and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to be so much closer. Right. TTC takes about an hour to get to downtown Toronto. Wow. It's a, it's a while. It's a hike. So shout out to Humber College. I am not an alumni. I did not finish. I don't get invited to things. Oh, man. That's got to hurt. Like, that's yeah. got to, like, yep, yep, that's yep, a yep, sore yep, spot. Yep, yep, yep. And that, you use that pain then to generate comedy. You know what I mean? Just that hole that's been blasted inside you, as they say. It's like, when did you start? I started in this, my first time on stage ever was the spring of 04 in Calgary at a Yuck Yucks open mic. Oh, yeah. And I look back on it now and I cannot believe that it's been that long. Like, I can't, because I still feel like I'm learning it, the craft. I never, I don't know if you ever feel like you've arrived or got there. Oh, God, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I feel like, oh, 15 years. But I remember at like two years going, oh, I know this now. Yeah. This is, I know how it, to do it. And yeah. realizing I was so stupid. I thought by now I'd be on my like sixth hour. Yeah. 
people don't tell you that it's like, when does it take? It's like, it could take forever. Yeah. It could take you 20 years to get your first hour of material. Oh my God. Yeah. Funny. I was talking to another comedian last night about this. I was like, the concept of the hour as the benchmark, do you think, like, where did it, I know in comedy clubs, that's how it started. Like there'd be a host and then there'd be a middle act and then the comedian after the, the headliner would do like 45 to an hour mm-hmm. but it's like that's the new standard now and then i watch some people put out new specials and i'm not knocking them i'm just like i understand the volume you have to create to put in a new special every year and a half two years i'm like should the hour be the standard or can you just put out 30 minutes can you just put out 20 minutes like does it help your career anymore if you just put out two or three good clips that are just good and go viral or do really well or is it better to do a special that the world sees? Like, I don't know. I know financially it's probably better if you get like, obviously if you get a Netflix deal and someone's like, give us your next couple of hours. But career wise for other people, couldn't some good clips do just as much for you career wise? Yeah. I think artistically I would love to put out a special that was like, you know, an un- uninterrupted 30 minutes. But I think maybe because, and I found this touring and trying to book my own stuff is that, um, and things that people don't realize is that when you go on the road, you have to pay openers. Yeah. So if you're doing 45, you need an opener to do 30. And if you're doing 30 on the road, you need to like co-headline it with somebody. Yep. So really like, cause I wanted to start putting together my own gigs and I'd be like, I'd have two openers and I'm like, well, paying openers would cost a lot of money. So maybe I just have one opener yep. and then I do an hour and it's like an hour and 15 minute show. It's a long time. It's a long time to be on stage. And even like, you ever been like on stage that long? You're like, I'm tired of me. Oh like I, yeah, I've been talking the whole time. Someone else say something. That I, should be your next album. <laughs> I'm tired of me, Trent McClellan. I'm tired of me. Don't get this. Don't buy this. Seriously. Even I'm tired of me. And then sales are horrible. So you don't but like shellfish at all? I like shrimp. I like shrimp. I like scallops. I like all fish for the most part. Like I like salmon. But sh- I don't know what it is. I think it's the texture of mussels and and um, oysters. I'm just like, eh. Are scallops like- in a shell at one point in their life? These are also questions that I don't know the answer I'm to. I'm going to say whatever you say is the answer. I'm saying scallops. I'm saying they are not. They're not in a shell. I'm saying they're not. Wait, now they're soft. They, got, they must be in a shell. They couldn't live like that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. They'd have to be they, in a shell. They're probably in a shell. Definitely. There's a lot of like everyone who worked at the Oyster Fest was like cool. Like, like it's a new, cool? yeah, kind of like hipster, like hipster East Coast cool. Like you know those dudes. <laughs> yeah, I do know those. Dudes. Like but, you I know, literally know those dudes. Yeah, like <laughs> chef, like chef guys and uh, barber dudes and um, like if you saw them on the street, you're like, is that guy like? A, does he? Is that a tattoo artist? Is that a skateboarder? Yeah. No, no, that's the high end chef at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, you're that's like, a beekeeper. Remember when chefs were the coolest old, guy in the world, overweight white dudes. That was all chefs in the world up until like the mid 80s, early 90s. Yeah, who was the first cool chef? Why are chefs cool now? Is it Bourdain? It could be Bourdain. I mean, we've really, we've made them rock stars. We really have, like, because everything's a TV show now. So, like, your Gordon Ramsay's and your, who's the other British guy? What's his name? Um, um, Jamie um, Fox. Sure. Jamie Fox. He's all, he could play a chef. I'm he's sure cool. he's a very talented actor and singer. He probably could play a chef, but, uh, the other British guy, like he became a rock star. And now it's like they open up these restaurants. They have merchandise everywhere. It's like their cookbook. Their, you know what I mean? Like, oh, buy these knives that have been signed off on by whatever. So I don't yeah. know when it became like, oh, you can be a global superstar just by being a chef. But out here, there's like, it's like sea hipsters. 
Yeah. Like people who so are like a category of hip- hipsters? hipsters. That's if you're hip in Halifax, you're a sea hipster. You had there's so much salt in your veins. It's like they, they have to, you have to get like an actual card. Yeah, One lady was very weird. She gave me an oyster and she was like, do you want to kiss? Like, and she was. That's very East Coast. She wanted to kiss me. Really? I was like, no. For real? Yeah, like kiss on the lips. And I really? Said, no. Yeah. It was very strange. And before it was very sexual. Like the oyster was called like the, orga- the orgasm oyster. Where were and she was you? like, do you like to have an orgasm? And I was like, yeah, sure, please. And, cause, and then she handed me the oyster and she was like, do you want to kiss? Really? I like, no. I don't. Yeah. I don't want that. It's very strange. I'm with someone. Yeah, I'm with someone. <laughs> That's amazing. I get, I get very scared when I get hit on. Like when someone's hitting on me, I, yeah. I, I'm quick to be like, my girlfriend and I were talking. Like, <laughs> and then people are like, relax. Chill out. I just wanted you. To, I just said, did you want fries with that? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm seeing someone. Yeah. My girlfriend loves, loves fries. <laughs> you know who loves fries? My girlfriend. Set a, set a place at for her. She's no. not here. <laughs> no, no one's asking you, sir. Okay. So you start stand up. I'm always imp- I'm amazed by people's road like in stand up. Did you think it was a viable career when you first started, or was it kind of like I'm just gonna try this out and see how it goes? Uh, no, it was gonna be the thing that I did. You knew because I loved it early. Yeah, because when I was in high school, I would tape stand up all the time when it was on television, and really? I tape bad stand up and I rewatch it. Like there wasn't enough stand up on television because the the internet wasn't fast enough back then. Right. So there wasn't enough stand up available that I could consume. So I would tape Comedy Nows and I would tape Comedy at Club 54. Remember that show? That oh was, show was bad. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. I would tape that and I would rewatch it. I have all these tapes of like Canadian stand-up and just for laughs and just so I could watch it over and over again. That's crazy. And I was obsessed with it. Weird. So early for you, it became like, and you were a teenager at the time? Like how old? Like you're talking? Probably 15, 16 when it started. That's amazing because I... I really loved stand-up too when I was young. I remember I saw Eddie Murphy's um, Delirious when I was probably, whatever it was, 14 or 15. Yeah. And I just, I remember like we had to pause it because I was, we were laughing so hard. We were missing the rest of it. So yeah. I was like, okay, 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 you ready? Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, play. Yeah, hit it, hit it. And then he would say something else that we'd have to, like it took us four hours to watch this thing. Yeah. And I didn't know someone could be that funny. But it's, even then it wasn't on the radar for me as a career. It was like, that's just something other people do. Like I'm in a small town. It just wasn't, it wasn't in my world. So the fact that as a teenager at that age, you put the dots together and we're like, oh, this is a profession that people can do. Like in, because where did you grow up? You grew up in Cambridge, Ontario. In Cambridge. Yeah. And had you been in any comedy shows? Was anything coming through town? Like, no, nothing in Cambridge. You'd have to go to other towns to see it. You'd have to go to like Mississauga. Or Hamilton. Yeah. So I went... A co- oh, actually, there was one in Kitchener. There was a Yuck Yucks in Kitchener. I went all the time. Oh, okay. And I take friends, and I remember seeing, like, people and, um, yeah, just being so happy with it. And I'd sit front row all the time, and I love when the comedians would talk to me, and I like being part of the show. Sometimes... I, I wasn't, like, a shitty audience member. I was very nervous to talk to Yeah, but, but you were... I did, I did like when they would talk to me. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny because I... It's interesting that, that you said that like in terms of you had access to it to go into an actual environment. That's the difference, I think, because when I was young, we didn't have any comedy clubs and I didn't have access to any of it. So it was always just something on my television. I never could piece together that's a real person and that's right. a job. Right. It was like, oh, that's in Hollywood somewhere. Like, I don't even know yeah. what Hollywood is. I can't even find it on a map. But like, it was just something coming out of my TV or out of my, 
you know, uh, tape player or whatever it was. So I didn't, I just couldn't appreciate that it was an actual career for someone. And realistically, someone could do it for a living. And you know what's funny is when I was a kid, I thought that the life of a road comic would be like the f- most fun life in the world. Like yeah. being on tour 30 weeks out of the year, not really having, like having a home base, but not. And you're yeah. like headlining clubs. And I was like, <laughs> that sounds like the best life in the world. And now thinking about having to do that, I would be like, kill me. I'd quit. I'd quit. If that was my life i i wouldn't be doing comedy yeah yeah just doing clubs on the road no, no nothing like nothing against that but again i've been doing it long enough especially in canada where i'm like yeah this club again good yeah. like if i could go if i could do a year in america and tour around america i'd, I'd love it yeah but brand new environments brand new clubs. I've, I've done london yuck yucks probably 20 times <laughs> yeah i counted as a gig at west we had in cranbrook bc at like a heritage in or something hotel and i would i could remember how many times i'd done it by who i'd gone with like what other comics i'd gone with yeah and i remember i stopped i lost count at like 15 which meant like either twice a year or at least once a year for 15 years i'd gone there and i was like wowzers like that's a lot of visits to this little literally a little lounge like off the lobby of a hotel and i'm like and, and i'm like yeah but the thing about it is i find like with stand up in canada especially like you can find yourself in that circuit and just kind of in, immersed in that and that, that quickly just becomes your life like if you don't try and step outside of it or get a break somehow like that'll yeah, be no the rest of your life everyone's complaining yeah and you won't make any money you won't save any money you'll yeah. just be like oh wow i don't get emails anymore or no one books me anymore and like it's not a happy ending no for most people good lord no no it does not end well but that's awesome that you had access to actually go to a comedy club and go did you meet any comics early that were kind of like Oh man, that guy was so nice, and he answered a few questions for me. Or like, what was? Your, what, I would, when did you meet a comic? I would hang out after the show, and I'd say good set. Mm. I'd be like, I hope they talk to me. But again, I was I would never heckle or anything when I was at the show, or I'd no. never be disrespectful. But I'd go like like I remember seeing Nikki Payne and Terry Clement at the Kitchener Yak Yaks, and I remember like going up to Nikki Payne and saying good show, nice, um, and the other the other people. Also, I thought all stand up comedy was good. Right. Like, if they made didn't matter if you were a hack, I'd be like, this guy is a road dog. He is <laughs> he one of, he's com- the comic code, and I want to be a part of this. And Yeah. Um, That's what Jerry Seinfeld said, I think, that when he first started, he said, all I want to do is just be one of those guys. Like, yeah. if I can get into that club and be have that life, I will have made it. It will I will be a success. And I'm like, I think I felt the same way, because you're right. When you're on the outside looking in, it looks very glamorous. I remember, like, doing... Uh, like having a day job and then gigging on the weekends and then I would have to go back to my day job and I remember like dropping the headliner off and thinking like, oh man, that guy just gets to sleep in tomorrow and do whatever and I got to go to this job. I'm like, oh man, like, you know, like I saw it as like, oh man, that would be the life. Yeah. That's all I saw because I get to leave nine to five world and just be what I want. And now when you don't have anything to do during the day, you're like, what am I doing? (laughs) Too much time on my What's been like, what's been like your worst times in stand-up comedy? Oh, dude. Like times where you're just like, I'm miserable. I think this could be it. I had a really weird experience. This interview? (laughs) Other than this? Uh, this, I gotta tell you, this is the bottom. I mean, I... I, Having uh, to go down the Rolodex. I don't even have a producer, but I'm just talking to no one over here. Can we... um, Dude, I'll tell you, I'll be totally honest with you. I did a comedy now back in, I don't know when it would have been, 06, 07. I was like three years into Mm stand-up. 
And I don't know, I guess in my head, I thought like, okay, there's going to be a big break for me. Like, I'm going to record it. Hopefully, I have a good set. It's going to go out in the world. And then someone at, I've told the story before, but someone at the rap party from CTV shook my hand and went, get ready for your life to change. Whoa. Look me in the eyes. And I was like, well, this guy, he knows the business and he's, you know, like I literally, I remember going home going like, shit's about to, all right, like this is where Russell broke out and you know. Wow. So I went home. Dude, they put my special on the shelf for three years. It didn't air for three years. So I'm still going, doing the road and doing whatever. And I remember like financially being screwed, no money, owed a bunch of money. Like, and it was like, what am I doing? Like I'm doing these gigs and the gigs are going well, but it just wasn't translating into like any kind of financial security or any kind of, it was just stress all the time. Like, oh my God, that gig canceled. What am I going to do for rent? Like that was a really dark time. And I remember dusting off my resume, having to find it in a computer and going like, I need to update this and start sending it out. And I actually got a job. I sent it out to like um, one of those stores, you know, like um, HomeSense or whatever, you know, where they have like all the home products and stuff. It's like candles and little things. Yeah. I applied there and they needed someone just to put stuff together. And I was like, I need to find money. And the girl said, yeah. She said, yeah, you'll start on Monday if you want. And I was like, whoa, really? Like, that's it? She's like, yeah. And I was like, right. And over the weekend, I went, I need to work harder at comedy. Hmm. Like I don't want a day job. And so yeah. that the fact that I could have easily just slipped back into it. And then I just determined I was going to write more. I was going to hustle more to get gigs. I was going to do whatever I needed to do to try and turn it around career wise. But did yeah, you work shifts at home tense? No, I never went you that didn't. first day. I didn't show up. Right. Oh. And so I always didn't think like that girl was still waiting was for still you. Like going is he? it's been a lot of years. <laughs> and I, should I call Carol? Should I, do we have his number? Like someone doesn't show up and she's like, maybe this is the day Trent comes in. I don't want to hire anyone because I did hire already hire, hire someone. Yeah, 15 years ago, I hired Trent. So <laughs> oh maybe he's just, maybe he forgot. Look, if you're not going to come in, can you call? But uh, that was a dark time because I think I, I had drank the Kool-Aid of, oh, you can get this one gig and everything changes. And I really believed it, I think, at the time. And then, as, of course, as you get older and you get more experience, you realize, like, it's just the accumulation. You're just layering things on top of things and on top of things. Not yeah. that something can't help your career, but one thing is not going to, like, suddenly life's different. Like, yeah. So that was a dark time because I felt like the two things weren't meshing up. Mm-hmm. What about you? What was the darkest time that you can remember? Probably um, it was my first month in L.A. and I was doing, like, maybe first three months in LA and I was doing like a show a week because I couldn't really get on shows because no one knew who I was. I didn't have an uh, American credits. Everything you do in this country doesn't matter. No one cares. uh, In the United States. And I remember I started doing open mics again just to get on stage because I was like, I need to get on stage. So I'll just show up to mics. And when, like when you move to LA, you should do open mics, but you should do them with friends. Yeah, where you can have a drink at the show and it's fun, and uh, you can they can be like help very helpful that way and fun. But I was I was trying to go to like two a week alone, and I remember there was one up the street from my house, and I went and it was like horrible, and but and everyone was bombing, and in my head I was like I'm gonna do well, like I'm gonna have a good set, I'm gonna do some like material that I know is good. And all these people will see that I'm good and, you know, they'll tell their friends or blah, blah, blah. And I bombed so hard. Um, I was like humiliated and no one cared. No one knew who I was. And I, wa- I remember I walked home and uh, it was the first time I was like, 
maybe I should quit. Wow. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. We're talking like that was when. That was crazy hard. Uh, I guess this would have been six years ago. Wow. So it would have been still like seven years into stand-up. Yeah, that was a... I mean, it's very hard down there. Yeah. Dude, it's... It's very fun and I love it and I'd go back if I had a job. But um, it's very hard to start over anywhere. Oh, there's no doubt about it. But that's what I think when people ask me about they want to be a stand-up or whatever. And I'm like, man, the amount of resilience you need to like get kicked in the teeth a thousand times and just like spit your teeth out and just get back up and go again. It's like, it's around every corner. It's like the saying, I don't know, this has come up on the podcast a bunch of times, but this whole saying of like another level, another devil, it's like, it doesn't end. Like, it's no. not like, it's not like you just get to a point where like every door opens now. It's yeah. like, right? Like, yeah. Hey, I've done a bunch of stuff in Canada. I'm going to go to LA and I know some people down there. It's like, it's so hard. Any time to transition to the next level is so hard. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a, <clears throat> And there's even stuff that, like I wish I didn't have to do now, but because I know I'm not in like financially a place where I can say no to things. Mm-hmm. Like I could never say no to a corporate. Like if a corporate gets, if I get a corporate, I'm usually like, fuck, I got to do this. I don't find a way. I'm doing like, we're doing a corporate tonight and it's great because I can walk to it. It's just at the casino. But, um, you know, some corporate is three hours away and you're like, money's all right. I don't want to do it, but I can't say no. Expectations are ridiculous. But you know what? I think it's usually pretty corporates. I don't hate corporates. I think I ended up, <clears throat> it's funny because this circles back to me considering a day job. I started to treat corporate comedy as my day job. Right. You know what I mean? I went, I'm going to write just a 45 minute squeaky clean, mm-hmm. non-offensive anything, no risk taking really. Mm-hmm. And I won't love them, but that'll pay bills because it pays more money yeah. and that will be my day job. And then going to do clubs or do other gigs that I can book, that will be the, my fun time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's kind of how I rewired my brain to go, okay, like you can stay in the comedy world, but you're going to have to suck it up a little bit and do these other gigs that are like nooners with banquet tables where half the crowd's not facing you and you're like, ah, okay, it's just how much time left. 15 <laughs> minutes, okay, all right. And we're very privileged to do them too because uh, – most comedians, like 99% of comedians want to be doing corporates. Definitely. Or be doing more corporates. For the audience if you're there, famous, if you, do, you, don't, you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're Bill Burr or someone who goes like, yeah, I'll do the private show or corporate show, but like you're just getting Bill Burr. Like he's like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, don't swear. He's like, no, yeah. no, I'll show up and be me. Yeah. If you, and, but I'm not going to go and change who I am. And he's also probably getting paid $50,000. Yes. Like every or time more. he leaves his house, it's like. I heard someone tell a story about um, they were talking to Russell Peters and they were like, do you still bomb? And he's like, oh yeah. And he's like, I just got, I just did a corporate. I did 45 minutes and uh, bombed. Bombed the whole thing. And I got paid a quarter of a million dollars. Imagine. To bomb. Yeah, I can go be quiet. I can have them be real quiet for an hour. (laughs) Quarter of a million dollars. I do a lot of things. A lot of things. I mean, I would, would, yeah. I mean, I would actually bomb something. I would actually go bomb something else. Back to fish. Um, Let's go back to fish. So when you were living in Cornerbrook, you lived in Cornerbrook until you were 18? 19? No. Well, no. Probably about 2021. I did my first university years of university there too. Right. Then I went to St. John's on the other coast of Newfoundland. Yeah. And got Bi-coastal. my... Finished my degree. What was that? Bi-coastal. Bi-coastal. Yeah. Which are bi-cuspids, however you want to say it. And uh, graduated, then lived in St. John's for a couple of years. But again, there were no comedy clubs anywhere there mm-hmm. at the time. So you're Was just, comedy in St. John's like um, character-y? Was there stand-up? 
Um, or was it different? <clears throat> it was the first comedy show I ever saw was in St. John's, Newfoundland, and it was a Yuck Yucks tour coming through town. And it was like Mike Bullard and Shaman Jonder, actually. Mm. And somebody else, I think, was on the show. And it was my first time being in a room going like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Because I don't know if you remember, like, the first time you see you're in a room of, with stand-up comedy with people who really know what they're doing, it's a pretty amazing feeling. Yeah. Like, you're like, wow, like, to be in this audience and everyone's laughing at the same time, that energy is a pretty incredible thing. Yeah. And... Um, so there was stand-up coming through, but there were no open mics for comedy. It was all music. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of character stuff, like plays at the LSPU Hall and different things. So there was a lot of that. Right. Right? But not traditional stand-up, people just standing and delivering at all. When did the COD moratorium happen? Oh, God. In the, in the 90s? Yeah. Like, so you were a kid? Yeah, you I would have been like, just out of high school, just getting ready to leave high school. What was that like? How do you mean? But do you remember like what... What it was like because I guess you were in Cornerbrook. Yeah, people fishing for cod in Cor- Cornerbrook. No, so it's, my hometown is like a mill town, like pulp and paper mill town. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Cornerbrook. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, big mill. In the but middle. everyone must have freak, freaked out. Oh, dude, must have been insane. Yeah, well, you're looking at like a large portion of the population who like this industry and livelihood just goes away, and people are now like men, and we're talking like generational, like you know, grandfathers passing on to their sons and then they pass on to their sons and so on. So like we're talking families who that's all they'd ever known their whole lives. And now you have these people who are like, I don't have, I don't have any schooling even like, I don't know how to reinvent myself. So it was a real struggle because then the government stepped in and was like, we're going to have these programs and give you money to retrain yourselves. And then it was just, it was a mess. Like it was a gong show, but this, you know, they say like during tough economic times, traditionally entertainment has still done well. Like mm. movies, people still go to movies. People still go out to bars and stuff, and go to comedy shows because they still want that escape from their everyday life. They still need that outlet. Do and people in Corner Book think St. John's is a big city? Yeah, they think it's like Toronto. Really, it's like a big deal. Whoa! Yeah, I think like we're going to St. John's this weekend. Like it's a big, big thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my hometown's like now it's like twenty thousand people, twenty one thousand, and St. That's John's. All, that's all Corner Book is. Yeah, it used to be when I was a kid. It was probably thirty thousand, but they've had a lot of. A lot of people have moved and, you know, like just the economy was bad and people just moved on. But like, yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, it's still a big deal. And like, of course, St. John's, most importantly, has a Costco. So, I mean, oh, yeah, you load up the car and people go in and make a big trip to Costco. Is that an eight hour drive? How long? Yeah, it's been seven and a half, eight hours. Wow. And, and it never go- gets any shorter. It's always feels like it's eight hours. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my, you never like talk and all of a sudden like, oh, shit, we're here. Like, it's. It's never that. Where, like, where are the stops when you you go from Cornerbrook to St. John's? Where do you stop? You stop like Grand Falls, Gander, Clarenville, probably Whitburn. These Is there a like, restaurant everyone goes to on the way? Yeah, like people do like Irving Big stops. You can hit a Mary Brown's up. You know, yep. get yourself some sweet taters and chicken. Yeah, um, maybe go to the Splash and Putt. You know, somewhere there in Central Newfoundland. Okay, change it up a little bit. But uh, and dude, I I don't know how many hundreds of times I've done that drive because of course going to university there but but my home is still back in cornerbrook it's right. like you were just like what but it never got any shorter it's even now i've done it it still feels as long as it did the first time i ever did it is cornerbrook where you get the ferry no port of basque is about a couple hours from cornerbrook and that's where you get the ferry over to sydney nova scotia and it takes a long time and that's right? a long time we're talking i don't even know how long it is but i i got you sleep on it right oh yeah or die on it because i actually we had dude when i was in high school we had a basketball tournament in uh in nova scotia so we got the ferry over it was fine on the way back middle january worst seas i've ever seen like it looked like an episode of land and sea like something on national geographic where like waves were 
blowing up over the the side of the the ferry and like the water would hit the window and freeze it was like i was like we're gonna die like, wow we're gonna die like and of course there's just staff walking around like how's everything i'm like how is that guy standing upright you know what I mean? and i was like literally just getting tossed around i was sick for two days afterwards i had so much motion sickness like my equilibrium got all messed up and i was like i was done like i, I missed school like i was like i went back and my principal was like you need to go home like, wow i was so messed up i'm like we were idiots too because apparently um you're supposed to stay in the middle of the boat during choppy water because there's more motion at the ends, the front right, of right. the back, clearly. Right. We were idiots. We're like, oh, that's good. I'm going to go down to the back and just like <laughs> just being tossed the whole time. Like chairs are rolling down the thing. It's like, woo. And it also, oh, these chicken fingers. Just, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to get to it like just panic. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's weird. And yeah, it's like, I don't know. Like Newfoundland's such a, I mean, you've been, obviously. Yeah. And it's like, it's such a unique place in a way that people don't take themselves seriously. And so therefore don't take anyone else seriously either. Like you cannot be pretentious. You cannot think you're the shit. Right. It's like, nah, like they just don't have it. But the com- it works for comedy because people come in already ready to laugh. Like they're not, you don't have to win them over as much. They're kind of like, no, we know why we're here. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like crowds are just already on your side. I find when people ask me, what's your favorite crowds? I'm like. Lots of great cities and great audiences, but I feel like Newfoundland in general, people are just like, no, we love to laugh. We love to make other people laugh, and we love to have someone else make us laugh. Yeah. It's just in the culture, like yeah. storytelling culture. But uh, it's it's a really it's a really interesting thing. Um, okay, so your career, you go on stage, you realize I want to start doing this. When did you go? Okay, I'm gonna not have a job. Job? Like, did you have job jobs before? Like, were you? Or were you oh yeah, I worked every job in yeah. the book. I worked at Blockbuster Video. Humble bro. Shout out to Blockbuster out there. Obviously, any deals right now on the... Oh, Trent. They got specials? Oh, no. You didn't hear? No, I don't understand what's going on. I worked at Blockbuster Video. I worked at... Are uh, you the reason they closed? Yeah. <laughs> Did you, like, not charge people for late fees, and that's why I went I was under? incredible at my job. I was so good. <clears throat> Remember Blockbuster? Uh, people people like, would come in, and they'd be like... Because I was the guy on the floor, so I'd make movie recommendations. So people would be like come in and they pick up like some dumb comedy and i was such a pretentious little like movie <laughs> nerd and so people would pick up a movie and they'd be like hey i want to see um open water this shark movie and i'd be like or they'd be like i want to see the new adam sandler i want to see little nicky and i'd be like oh you must see hotel rwanda <laughs> and they'd be like what and i'd be like it's phenomenal you must see it and these are like two people who are just looking to have sex. Yeah, yeah. 30 minutes they're not after finish the, Yeah, they're not going to finish. So uh, a and lot you, of people would come back and they'd be like, what the fuck is... <laughs> why did you recommend this movie? What the fuck is going on? I'd didn't be like, like it? Didn't like it? You didn't like it? Really? Listen, Don Cheadle's incredible. It's an incredible movie. Did you even watch Don Cheadle's performance? <laughs> no. But that, dude, was, that was me. Dude, remember Blockbuster? Like, I think about it now where we just like, you sit on the couch, you go like scroll for literally two minutes and then you pick a movie. Like, remember like getting in the car, driving, you always had to go with other people. It was always like a crew of you. Yeah. You break up then once you're in there, like yeah. we'd all just scatter. Yeah. And you're looking at titles, you're holding up stuff like, guys, what do you think of what? It? Like it took, this whole process was hours. Like from the time you agreed on what movies. Because it's not like you decide any quicker in Blockbuster. You're still going through looking at literally every single movie. Yes. And the new release shelf would be gigantic. Yeah. And then you start <laughs> weaving through the aisles and the old movies. Yeah. Have you seen this? You're yelling across the store. Adam, have you seen Meatballs 2? <laughs> Meatballs 2. Oh, 
God, whatever. I remember that. And I was like, or then digging through uh, the return pile. Cause you're like, oh, oh yeah. I'm going to take the inside track and see already like what's going, trying to go through the bin. Like, oh yeah, I got it. Like, yeah, yeah let's kind of, is yeah. it already in her, is it under her name? Like she returned it. Like I'm not. Yeah. Like it was a big thing, but it was like two hours to go get movies, bring them back, snacks. Yeah. And you're like, man. Unless you knew what you wanted. And sometimes, I mean, the, the difference between Blockbuster and Netflix was things were sometimes would run out. Right. You go to Blockbuster because you wanted to go see like <laughs> open water and the walls. We don't have it. We don't have it. We don't have any. Friday, Saturday night, good luck. And then you got me being like, oh, Hotel Rwanda Hotel still Rwanda. here. Do you like comedy? <laughs> you like com- Do you like a good slapstick? <laughs> Hotel Rwanda. Guy at the store said it's hilarious. Sideways. The Alexander Payne movie, Sideways. <laughs> 17 years old. I love that movie. Simply must see Sideways. Oh, man. Quite a crazy time, though, because I feel like that was... I mean, who would have thought that would go away? But, like, that concept of... I mean, a lot of people say <clears throat> that's where the world's moving now is less friction. Anything that provides f- friction is dying. Anything that provides less friction and makes things smooth. It's why Uber is so popular. It's like... Just speed up the process of everything, and that will win. Whereas Blockbuster, when you look back, and I'm like, that was pretty painful. It was like, that's a lot of time. I got to get my car. And like Canada in winter, like, all right, everyone load up, put on your winter jackets. We're going to go to Blockbuster, like yeah. Friday night in January. Yeah. Of course Netflix is going to win. Of yeah. course. I don't leave my home, and I just get to sit here. And, and then after you're done the thing, like imagine like Blockbuster was like if you went to a restaurant and you ate at the restaurant, and sometimes you couldn't get into the restaurant, but then yeah. you'd go into the restaurant, and it'd be a good time, and then you left your house, and then a day later, you have to, you can't use your own toilet. You gotta go back to the restaurant and return the food. <laughs> yeah, get it returned. Because you're, you're all done the movie. You're like, well, that was great. Yeah, great. You're not finished yet, sir. My, my joy is over, and now I have a chore. Yeah, remember the stress of that, too? Like, oh, shit, what did, what's today? Sunday. Shit, I was supposed to... Oh, dude, I suppose it's to be three day rentals. So you got to go back in three days. That's true. What a way. Yeah, that's you're right. As a business model, it's a bit ridiculous. We sound like old men right now. Yeah, we do. I miss the old days. You know, when you could just uh, you waited for the CBC late night movie, you know, you hoped you liked it. (laughs) Just TV movies. What a gamble that is. Like just putting a a movie on and going like, hope you like it. It's the next two hours. Yeah. It's a love story. Like that's Get a you hooked in the first 30 minutes is going to be all movie. And then the last 30 minutes is going to be 17 commercials. <laughs> Every two minutes, there's going to be an ad. We pack them in at the end. Stick around if you want. If you don't want to, that's totally fine too. I mean, um... And there it is, my conversation with Mr. Adam Christie. Oh, that was a really, really good one. We had a great time. And actually, uh, after that, we went and got some food. Okay? That's how good the conversation was. We are like, let's continue this off the record. And that's exactly what we did. He was off to do his, uh, his corporate show, and I went off to do a little spot at, uh, at the Yuck Yucks here in Halifax. That went really, really well. And... Um, yeah, capped off a pretty great day. So hope you enjoyed that one. Um, part two will be dropping next week. Thanks so much to every single person who's been listening to the podcast and subscribing. I know a lot of folks are now going back through old episodes and, and listening to those. So thank you so much for all the support. And I uh, hope you continue to, to stay on board and tell your friends. Also, don't forget to give us a review on iTunes if you can. And um, we really, really appreciate the, the, the help and the support and getting the word out there. So going to continue to keep uh, keep putting these out and giving you interesting guests. So have a fantastic week. 
be good to yourself. If you're going through some stuff right now, know that it's temporary and uh, you're going to get through it. So, uh, yeah, have a fantastic week and uh, I'll see you next week on the Generators Podcast.